Hello, beautiful people. Alicia here, and I'm recording some videos, and I really just, I, I want to keep going with uh, reading my my book to you so that I can get the audio file and, and make that available. So here we go. This is chapter four. Living in Newport News. My husband's job was a godsend in the transition, but quickly it became clear that the lower pay would put pressure on me to start making money again while still settling in from the move. And just the craziness of the, yeah. And the new work seems to be more of an interesting brief experience than a good new long-term plan for him. We need another miracle, but this time I don't even realize it until it happens. And then I breathe a sigh of relief and another prayer of thanks. Out of the blue, a recruiter reached it, reaches out to my husband about a job he could interview for that's across town where we had wanted to live near his family. He gets that job back at his normal pay. This is a beautiful, wonderful, incredible, marvelous turn of events. The only downside is that now we're across town where we don't know anyone and he has a really long commute to work. But I'm learning to listen to that still small voice and to see the providence in everything. I'm learning... I'm choosing to lean into this season, to see it as a divine assignment, and to get everything I'm supposed to get from this time at home with my kids. It's like being at home, it's like being at a summer home, on sabbatical, but with toddlers. And what am I reading? A Soul's Code, by James Hillman, of course, and it's blowing my mind. I feel like I've come home, you know, again. In this book, Hillman says, the entire image of a destiny is packed into a tiny acorn, the seed of a huge oak on small shoulders. He is speaking here of both a seed that will turn into a tree and a child that will grow into an adult. His acorn theory states that each of us is born with a defining image already intact and a call to take a certain path. We are born with an innate image which we are irrevocably drawn to live out, a reason that we are here. And the theory also attributes this innate image and angelic or demonic intention as if it were a spark of consciousness. Moreover, holds that it has our interest at heart because it chose us for its reasons. It's talking about kind of a divine assistance that, that knows why we're here. He proposes an alternative view of personhood and calling that urges us to reconsider our assumptions about childhood psychology and development. Throughout the book, he aims to show how and why we are not a victim of our genetics and our circumstances, but rather here for a definite purpose and imprinted with a specific design and calling. He says this book is about calling, about fate, about character, about innate image. Together, they make up the acorn theory, which holds that each person bears a uniqueness that asks to be lived and that is already present before it can be lived. And also, I think this point of his is right on. We dull, he says, this is really good. He says, we dull our lives by the way we conceive them. We have stopped imagining them with any sort of romance, any fictional flair. So this book also picks up the romantic theme, daring to envision biography in terms of very large ideas, such as beauty, mystery, and myth. He does this well, and I love it. This book will awaken your own sense of destiny and purpose in an incredibly self-empowering way. It's also an excellent book for parents to read as it will assist and correct their perspective on their relationship with their children and their role in his or her development. He says, 
This book is about children, offering a way to regard them differently, to enter their imaginations, and to discover in their pathologies what their daemon might be indicating and what their destiny might want. He tells some really great stories about kids showing signs that they want to play the violin or be an Olympic um, athlete or whatever. I love the book, but I don't get more than a third of the way through it the first time. So much to think about. The theory itself is both simple and profound, something you can grapple with and debate internally at your leisure. I see now that our six years in Suffolk at the House on Barron Boulevard was a precious season of preparation, safety, and security. We were starting a family and beginning to raise our four boys on adventure, common sense, and a good dose of love. We were solidifying our marriage and establishing family traditions of camping and general outdoor adventuring mixed with a love of computers, technology, tinkering with mechanics, building things out of wood. And of course, when I could steal away and find time, I was reading. But I also helped add a third layer to our wooden fort in the backyard, and I watched the boys use their rock climbing harnesses to walk around the top of it. I see now how those years, that season, and my job were such a blessing. And then after a few years of hearing the whisperings, it suddenly turned into a roar and I felt an overpowering message coming from deep inside me, telling me to leave my job and step out into that scary, unknown territory of working for myself. At least that's what I thought at the time. But now I see how my inner spirit was pushing me out of the nest to spread my wings and fly. And while I did make some money that first year and enjoyed working with clients and getting my feet wet in that world, the truth was that my real journey was a spiritual pilgrimage, an awakening, a journey into my own soul. What I found was depth and truth and love and light and calling. I found God at the end of that tunnel that started in my soul. When we moved to Newport News in the spring of 2019, I knew that I was being called away for a season of separation and quiet. I left all of my friend and business groups and the boys left their schools. My husband switched jobs. We settled into a cute but tiny white rental house on a cul-de-sac. The boys and I spent that summer biking around the circle, exploring Newport News City Park, and eating out as much as we could afford. When we weren't out frequenting playgrounds, the boys enjoyed excessive screen time downstairs while I retired to my office and did my daily soul-searching, trying to funnel my efforts into a viable business model. Following my heart, I finally released my last two marketing clients and plunged into a whole new level of faith and trust. Fearing the financial backlash, but feeling at the same time the inner pull of my soul to follow it, to listen, to invest my precious time away from the children, diving into the next spiritual truth that my soul had decided my mind was ready to hear. After all these ideas about demons of destiny, I think somehow my soul had pushed me as far as I could go in that direction at that time. It's as if I backed up a bit and set out in a bit of a different direction to lessen my fear and resistance to give me some time and space to adjust, to process. Next, we went to recover some old beliefs, like life after death, but from a new perspective. The Power of Intention. So I found myself reading The Power of Intention by Wayne Dyer that summer, and I came across the chapter where he talks about being on the active side of infinity. This means that you are an eternal being, having, having a human experience, and you can either realize that now or when you die to this physical body. He makes a compelling argument and lays out the benefits of realizing that truth now and living from that place and that understanding actively in this life. 
The spirit and presence of his words touched something within me, and I felt the invitation, and I accepted his urging to me as the reader to right now accept the truth of my eternal nature. In reading and processing that chapter, I felt a change in me. The hopelessness, the disappointment, the lack of faith that I had been wrestling with for years. A large part of it lifted, and I once again felt the comfort of knowing that this life is not all there is. That indeed, we have a heart and a soul that is from beyond, which will continue to exist after this physical body returns to dust. Reading that book was a pivotal turning point for me. Even though I didn't fully understand yet what he was trying to convey about the idea of intention being a field, a force in the universe, that truth was a seed that flowered later as my spiritual understanding and experience continued to grow and mature. This brings us to the shift of intention and replacing apathy and haphazard living for an intentional, empowered life. The fifth shift from apathy to intention. When we recover the beautiful truth of who we are and realize the incredible nature of the world we live in and our relationship to it, we are freed to trade a haphazard, apathetic life for one of meaning, purpose, and action. The way we do this practically is through harnessing the power of intention. When we're talking about intention, we're really coming to the point of talking about facing your power. You have the opportunity to accept and embrace your own authentic personal power. Your thoughts and emotions are made of energy, which have real substance and form. When you set an intention to accomplish something, you are harnessing a real force in the universe. When you begin to set aside the madness of your ego to live truly from your soul, you are tapping into your power because you are finding your true purpose and meaning. You are finding a firm foundation from which to go forward. Apathy stems from a lack of hope, a feeling of despair, an unwillingness to face your own power, an uncertainty that you have power. It comes from the same place as fear and resistance. It holds you motionless and inactive. It keeps you out of the game, unable to find the strength or passion to find yourself, to take action, to discover your power. Intention comes from the knowledge that you are a divine soul on a mission of love. This knowledge fosters your courage and gives you permission to discover your power. Invite the power of intention to play an active role in your life. You cannot find it through reason. In the power of intention, Wayne Dyer instructs us to banish doubt and trust our intuitive feelings. He describes intention as an actual field, a force that exists in the universe. He says this force is both physical and non-physical. In us, intention is infinite potential activating your physical and non-physical appearance on earth. It is omnipresent. We come from it and we can access it. It is present everywhere as a field of energy and it causes both physical and non-physical development in all things. When the force of intention is dormant for us, that is because we believe we are separate from it. Connecting to our source activates it, allowing us to feel our purpose and to be guided by our infinite self. When we embrace our true nature and begin to set a definite intention to live our life according to the mission of our soul, this assists us in realizing the truth, that we are connected to everything, including that which we desire to experience in our lives. Here's what he says about intention and creation. The artist creates something out of nothing. Without the thoughts and feelings of the artist, there would be no art. It's their particular creative mind and contemplation that links to intention to give birth to what we call an artistic creation. 
This is how the power of intention worked in creating you, someone new, entirely unique, someone out of nothing. Reproducing this in yourself means encountering the creative impulse and knowing that the power of intention is reaching for the realization of all that it feels and that it is expressing itself as you. What we talk about when we talk about God. All of these new ideas immediately began bringing comfort and healing to me. And when I began to be anxious about how they related to my Christian background, I found Rob Bell. I had read his book about the Bible the year before and found it to be sound. As a biblical scholar, I have high standards for correct interpretation, and he passed the test with flying colors. Almost at the same time as I read The Power of Intention, I began to read a small but powerful book by Rob Bell called What We Talk About When We Talk About God. In this short, poetic, and inspiring book, Rob Bell ushers us into a realm of possibility and shows us how to think bigger about God and about spirituality. Fortunately for me, he eases me into this. He understands where I'm coming from because it's the same place he came, came from. He had the same questions I have. I'm so grateful for his trailblazing that is so close to the trail that I have taken. Where I need help, the missing pieces I see, he is graciously and elegantly able to fill in the gaps and connect pieces of ideas together for me. He starts in what we talk about when we talk about God by talking about recent scientific discoveries and the amazing nature of our universe, directing us to approach the conversation of spirituality with openness. Then he talks about how language is powerful and yet sometimes fails us. After that, he describes in poetic and inspired fashion how the God he sees as available to us is with us and for us and ahead of us. Here are a few of my favorite quotes from the book. I believe God is for every single one of us, regardless of our beliefs or perspectives or actions or failures or mistakes or sins or opinions about whether God exists or not. I believe that God wants us each to flourish and thrive in this world here and now as we become more and more everything we can possibly be. In talking about the foreness of God, I want you to see how many of the dominant theological systems of thought that insist God is angry and hateful and just waiting to judge us unless we do or say or perform or believe the right things actually make people miserable and plague them with all kinds of new stresses and anxieties, never more so than when they actually start believing that God is really like that. I've come to see that God is so much bigger and more wonderful and more good and everywhere than in the religion most of us grew up with. Here's the next quote from the book. It's possible to be quoting the Bible out of the conviction that you're defending God's way, when in fact you're in that exact moment working against how God wants to continue drawing and pulling and calling humanity forward. And then, to put a finer point on it, it's possible to take something that was a step forward at one point and still be clinging to it later on in the story to the point where it becomes a step backward. I see so clearly now so clearly now that this is where much of the church is at, and I want to do something about it. I want to help. Maybe I can somehow be part of a bridge to the future because of where I've come from and where I am now. Maybe this is my mission. So, Bell goes on. Next quote. It is possible for religious people who see themselves as God's people to resist the forward calling of God to such a degree that the larger culture around them is actually ahead of them in a particular area such as the protection of human dignity or the integration of the mind and the body or the treatment of women or inclusion 
<clears throat> of the forgotten and marginalized or compassion or intellectual honesty or care for the environment. Churches and religious communities and organizations can claim to speak for God while at the same time actually being behind the movement of God that is continuing forward in the culture around them without their participation. This is what I believe is happening today. I think Bell is right. So final quote from the book. He says, you are on holy ground wherever you are. And Jesus comes to let us know that the whole world is a temple because we are temples. All of life is spiritual, all space sacred, all ground holy. He comes to heighten our senses and sharpen our eyes to that which we've been surrounded by the whole time. We're just now beginning to see it. Jesus came to take our understanding of spirituality to the next level. We are the temple. God dwells in us. Everything is sacred. Everything is spiritual. Rob Bell is my primary inspiration for the shift around transforming separation and disconnection into holism. The sixth shift from separation and duality to holism. There are many beautiful facets to this mysterious, beautiful concept, but right now we're going to look at two. The first one we're going to touch on takes the concept of connection and separation and turns it inward. Have you ever felt annoyed with yourself or just sick of yourself? Who is annoyed and who is the one being annoying? This is evidence of the two selves that live inside your consciousness. Some call it the soul and the ego, I've also heard it called the inner self and the outer self. The shifts we've been talking about will have the natural consequence of increasing, increasing your awareness of these two selves and of shifting your internal authority from the ego to the soul, from the outer self to the inner self. Living a fear-based, material-oriented, ego-led life causes us to both subdue the soul and to separate our two selves from each other. Our journey toward wholeness involves recovering the voice of our soul and seeking alignment in our inner world. Begin to pay attention to negative emotions as you have them and see how they reveal a state of judgment and separation within yourself. When you feel guilt or shame, one part of you is judging the other part and you are unable to accept the state of your world. When you are unable to accept your reality, you begin to resist instead, and that creates a negative cycle. The second aspect of holism we're going to talk about is much broader and has to do with examining our dualistic thinking and reconsidering our objections to paradoxical truths. There is more to say than I can cover here, but let's start with a quote from Rob Bell. He says, For many in our world, somewhere along the way, reality got divided up into the secular, and the sacred, the religious and the regular, the holy and the common, the understanding being that you're talking about either one or the other, but not both at the same time. This disintegrated understanding of reality, the one that puts God on the one side and not the other, the one that divides the world up into two realms, it's lethal and it cuts us off from the depths and separates us from the source. Because sometimes you need a biologist, and sometimes you need a poet. Sometimes you need a scientist. And sometimes you need a song. I love that. Um, okay. 
make the shift to seeking and nurturing a holistic view of the world rather than a separated dualistic one. Life is full of mystery, and many of the best parts, love, joy, peace, compassion, are made of pure energy. The stuff that makes life worth living is the energetic connection we feel with our loved ones and this beautiful world we live in. Embrace the mystery, nurture holism, question dualistic thinking, humor paradoxes. Allow life to be beautiful simultaneously in its complexity and its simplicity.